0: Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, Chicx are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out of blanket, so you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And Chicx bedding looks as good as it feels, colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try Chicx for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com.
1: For the World According to Zig podcast for this August 5th, 2018, my name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned totally upside down. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com and uh, this is our first podcast in quite a while. I want to apologize right off the bat for our unexpected, unintended, unscheduled hiatus That occurred for reasons completely beyond my control, uh, which have not yet fully been rectified, but we have been able to at least figure out a way to do a a stopgap procedure and get at least uh, one more uh, podcast in here before the uh, the summer comes to a close. I never expected to take a summer hiatus, especially with all of the crazy news that's been going on over the last uh, month or so, and there's absolutely no possible way to review everything that's occurred since our last podcast, although we will do the best uh, job we possibly can. Here's how this podcast is going to go down. Our number one is going to be the uh, the best review of the Trump-related news that I can possibly put together. Our number two is going to be a review of all the stuff that I'm intimately involved with, <laughs> which is going to be an interesting segment because it'll show just how bizarre my life is. This will include an important update on the Paul Campos... A theory about uh, Elliot Brody, Sheriff Bouchard, and maybe Donald Trump. There's been a ton that's been going on on that front, and there'll be new news on that this week. So you will not want to miss what I have to say in hour number two. Also in hour number two, an update on the Penn State case, how it relates to the Urban Meyer Ohio State case, and how I've gotten embroiled now in the Jim Jordan Ohio State wrestling case. I don't intend this... Stuff, folks. It just kind of happens. But I'm going to tell you the truth about that that you won't hear anywhere else. Uh, Plus, some other uh, interesting stuff that's been going on in my life that I think you'll find compelling. All that. And now we're number two. And then now we're number three an interview that I did a while ago, but I think it's still really compelling and important. And it's with General Michael Hayden, who's the former CIA director, worked for both Bush and Obama. And I interviewed him through rather rudimentary means, so the audio is not fantastic, but it's, it's definitely listenable. I interviewed him the day of Trump's Helsinki press conference with Vladimir Putin. Now, that just happened to be fortuitous timing, because that's when we had scheduled it for, because we actually thought we were going to do a podcast that day, but it didn't work out, unfortunately, because that's the way my life works. So uh, you'll definitely want to hear this. Because Michael Hayden is a really important voice, not just because he's a former CIA director, but I think he is clearly keeping his powder dry for what he anticipates is going to be a critical moment in this entire Trump-Russia investigation. So make sure you listen to um, our or segment number three with General Michael Hayden, because the uh, timing of that interview was really very interesting, and what he has to say is very compelling because he's a smart, honest guy, and he and I uh, have gotten to know each other a little bit because, uh, weirdly, <laughs> we have a Steubenville, Ohio connection. That's that's how I got to know General Michael Hayden. Yeah, he is a family member of my surrogate mother from uh, Steubenville, Ohio, my days as a sportscaster back there, in uh, the early 1990s. Also, probably doesn't hurt that uh, he's a big Pittsburgh Steeler fan and uh, he knows I'm a, a Franco Harris friend, so... <laughs> So that's the connection to General Hayden. Now, speaking of the Helsinki press conference with Vladimir Putin, that is, in my mind, without a doubt, the most significant thing that has occurred since our last podcast. And I wrote a couple of columns about it. Interestingly, I, you know, just to show I don't have Trump derangement syndrome, I wrote one column, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, which correctly predicted immediately— that this was going to have no impact on Trump supporters. And that while there is some level of irrationality to that correctly predicted reaction, there's actually some basis for it. The media was going through a massive, almost unprecedented freakout over what occurred at Helsinki with uh, Putin sucking, I mean, actually, Trump sucking up to Putin, unfortunately. And, uh, and unfortunately, because of a whole series of reasons, which I articulate, I believe I had a a, a list of 10 of them, Republicans or conservatives or Trump supporters, whatever you want to call them, have very substantive reasons not to be impacted by a media freakout of any kind, no matter what the substance of it is. And that's a dangerous situation, but that's where we currently are. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're coming off of eight years where the news media had their pom-poms out for Barack Obama. In fact, more than eight years. They got him elected twice. They cheerleaded almost everything he said. And so now all of a sudden, for the media to go from lapdog to pit bull to a lot of people, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't pass the smell test. And I understand that. I get it. I I did a whole movie, Media Malpractice, how Obama got elected. I I get it. I, I get that this is something that doesn't feel right and it doesn't, it doesn't you know, as I said, pass the smell test. That doesn't mean that the criticism today isn't accurate. It's just that they have no credibility because they sat on their hands for eight years with Barack Obama. But with regard to what actually happened at Helsinki, and it's important to note, you can't interpret Helsinki through the prism of just that one event, although even just that one event would be horrifying to people who, you know, care about these kind of things, which apparently is a much smaller number than should be. But you had to look at this through the context. And I wrote about this before Helsinki. I said Helsinki was going to be a disaster. It was actually far worse than what I predicted because you had to see it in the context of the G7, of the NATO summit, and in the Kim Jong-un summit, all of which were disasters, disasters. I mean, Trump is is asking that Russia be allowed back into the G7. He's talking about breaking up NATO and being far more critical of our closest allies than he ever is of Putin and Russia. And the Kim Jong-un thing, which I think I was dead on right about from start to finish, it's amazing. And this is classic Trump. This is the genius of Trump. Trump knows. That once the truth actually comes out, no one gives a shit. You get the photo op, you get the headline, you get the congratulations, you get the talk of the Nobel Peace Prize, and everyone cheers. doesn't matter that you're putting future presidential administrations in a very tough spot because now you've used ammunition that cannot be reused, and you've used it for yourself. But Trump knows that you get credit for the possibility. And then when it turns out later, oh, by the way, North Korea played us. North Korea had no intention of doing anything. There's no indication they've done anything. In fact, there's evidence to the contrary. They've treated our own emissaries, including uh, our Secretary of State, like a a piece of crap. And so uh, it's amazing. It is amazing how Trump is able to survive these things because there's so much else to talk about. All we should be talking about in a rational world is that the North Korean summit was a fraud and that Trump got duped and that North Korea got everything they could have possibly wanted, everything, in exchange for nothing, nothing. I mean, and all we got out of it was- Believe me. Yeah, but that's all we got. That's all we got. It's all going to be good, according. And and, and weirdly, even Trump at one point said, "You know what? If I'm wrong about what happened in North Korea, I'll admit it." Which is a stunning, stunning admission coming from Donald Trump. Which is which was the total cinch that this was a fraud because even Trump couldn't keep himself from acknowledging, "You know what? This is this is not going to work well." He's making it up as he goes along. That's what's happened. And by the way, he's making it up for the benefit of one entity and one entity only, Donald J. Trump. He doesn't give a crap about the United States of America or even more importantly, the future of diplomacy. Because these things matter. I've, I've used the analogy before of him basically selling the crown jewels for his own personal benefit. He's selling the crown jewels of U.S. diplomacy, blowing up all of our rules, all of our principles, all for a photo op that was based in bullshit. Now, all that's important context for what happened in Helsinki. And, you know, if I have uh, derange, uh, Trump derangement syndrome, which I clearly do not, because my predictions about, <laughs> I've done this about a dozen times, where I have predicted that a certain thing that's happened is not going to hurt him. In fact, it might actually help him. And I've been right every single time. So if I had Trump derangement syndrome, those abilities would be uh, greatly muted. In fact, they're finely tuned. But just to show that I don't have Trump derangement syndrome further, I should have been happy, right? That Trump was basically giving Vladimir Putin on live television a Monica Lewinsky, right? Because that shows shows that I was right. The the never Trumpers were right. I should be thrilled. Ah, see? Told you so. No. Ask my wife. I was... Beyond miserable watching that press conference. In fact, I was. it was worse than being miserable. I was frightened. I was frightened for the first time in this entire fiasco. I've always been frightened about what this is going to lead to, but this was the first time that I was frightened in the here and now, like chills up your spine, like hair standing up on your forearms. Frightened about what I was seeing. Because for the first time, and you could see it for your own eyes, unless you're a Trump Colt 45 cult member, you could see that it is obvious that Donald Trump, for whatever reason, is beholden to Vladimir Putin. There is no other way to cut it. He is beholden him. Is he compromised? Maybe. I get into that with General Hayden, in hour number three of this podcast. I think he's compromised. It might even be worse than that. I think now, post-Helsinki, all theories are plausible. I'm talking effectively Manchurian candidate. Maybe, I'm not, I don't know that he's smart enough to be full on manchurian candidate even I, I even i don't want to accept that but basically anything is possible now and why is that because on live television we saw the president of the united states suck up to a brutal murderous dictator who is an adversary to the united states of america and side with that person be far more complimentary of that person than of our own intelligence agencies. That's what he did. And he didn't just do it once. He did it numerous times. I've written a column extensively about this. Find it at freespeechbroadcasting.com. But when you can take it into the context of everything else we know about what's going on here, this makes no sense other than in a world where Trump is at best beholden to Putin. Now, could it be because he just really admires super powerful, super rich guys? Yeah, I guess that's possible. He sucked up to Kim Jong-un too. That is, it is possible that Trump is just such a moron and such a weak person and so and so weird in his psychological makeup that that's what's driving this. I am open still, although less than I was before, to that possibility. But that denies the rest of the context here. It denies, for instance, that just today, just this morning, in a revelation that in any other presidency we'd be talking about for weeks, Donald Trump acknowledged that he, and his son and his team have lied constantly about what the purpose of the infamous Trump Tower meeting was. They lied about it. They flat out lied about it. He's now acknowledging that, oh yeah, that was about getting opposition dirt on Hillary Clinton, although he's still claiming that he didn't know about it, (laughs) which is just flat out ridiculous, right? I mean, come on. Right, Charles? It's just flat out ridiculous. Yeah, it's just flat out ridiculous. You know how ridiculous, This is the analogy I use with Trump claiming, and I wrote about this over a year ago, saying this is ludicrous that Trump is trying to claim he didn't know about this meeting. I mean, this is how ridiculous it is. He He, by all accounts, was in the building that day. His son, his favorite son, by the way, his namesake, his son-in-law, and his campaign chairman are all in on the meeting. Now, this is a meeting where the he's now acknowledging the purpose was to get dirt on Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and they don't bother to tell him about it? Not one of them bothers to tell him about the meeting. This is like if a Playboy model had called Don Jr saying that she wants to get a golf lesson from Donald Trump like before his presidency maybe even during his presidency it doesn't really matter or maybe if Tiger Woods and a Playboy model said together hey we want to play golf with you naked Donald Trump i mean that that's you know that's the kind of offer that Donald Trump Jr would have to go yeah i'm not going to tell dad about that yeah, I'm just not not going to bother with uh, telling him. Are you kidding me? Donald Trump's Jr.'s ju- whole life is about trying to get approval from his dad. And, of course, we have other proof of this. After the meeting was set, Trump promises a speech about Hillary Dirt. We have the video. That speech never happens, which, by the way, I will fully acknowledge is actually... One of the few pieces of evidence consistent with Trump's new story, which is, "Yeah, this is about opposition research, but nothing occurred. We didn't get anything. We tried to rob the bank, but there was no money there," and uh, and therefore the speech never occurred. Well, okay, that's an that's a plausible interpretation of what happened. I'm not sure of the legal ramifications or significance of that, but it doesn't matter to the issue of whether or not he's lying about whether or not he knew the meeting occurred. Of course he knew the meeting occurred. This is, it's so absurd to claim that he didn't. It, you know what it reminds me of? It's kind of like that we all have to pretend that uh, Paris Jackson is really Michael Jackson's biological daughter. Does anybody really believe that? Take a look at Paris Jackson. She's white. <laughs> he was very black. She's not his biological daughter. Yet we all pretend. We just pretend, because that's the story. We don't want to offend her. It's just flat out ridiculous. <laughs> because after all, she's you know the daughter of an accused pedophile, so therefore <laughs> she deserves all the respect we can give her, not not to be uh, harmed with the actual truth that she's not really Michael Jackson's biological daughter. But that's that's the level of absurdity of this. And it's even more absurd today than it was yesterday. And again, I wrote about it over a year ago. This is a lie. This is a total lie. And it's just one of many. And that is probably my biggest problem. It's not just that I hate lying. I mean, lying used to be a thing, but now it's not. Now now lying is a weapon. Lying is a a legitimate weapon. And that's how Trump views it, folks. That's the most important thing you need to understand about Donald Trump. He gets, and this is where he's an idiot savant. He gets that lying is a tremendous weapon because, especially when you're president of the United States, people don't want to call you a liar. Even the media that hates you, they will hesitate to call you a liar until they have enough evidence to call you a liar, which, by the way, takes time. And what does time mean? Time means people will either forget. Or they'll stop giving a shit. Trump knows this. So you can lie your ass off because it, buy, at worst, it buys you time. I am doing a great job. That I can tell you, just in case you haven't noticed. Yeah, the, 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 the reality is that Trump understands the weaponry of lying. Because you might get away with it. If they don't find enough proof to prove you're lying, you get away with it. If they do, invariably, people will forget or they won't give a shit anymore. And the media will have moved on to something else. That's the other thing he's a savant about. He knows the incredibly short attention span of the media and the public. And so it won't matter. He probably learned this, ironically enough, from Bill Clinton. Remember Bill Clinton's big Monica Lewinsky lie. I did, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I never asked anyone to lie not a single time. That was all bullshit. Okay? But by the time we knew for sure it was bullshit, people had gotten tired. Trump understands this. And so he's continuing with these lies, but why but back to the 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 importance of the lies. It's not just that I hate lying. Why are the lies necessary? Why are the lies necessary? You only lie about something if there's a problem. Which again goes back to his tweet this morning. And I tweeted about this. I, you know, I'm not, obviously he's never going to respond, but I asked him the question because his whole his whole premise now is there was nothing wrong with this Trump Tower meeting. This was perfectly legal and normal politics to get dirt on your opponent. Okay? Well, if there was nothing wrong with the meeting, Mr. President, then why didn't anyone tell you about it? Okay. You can't have it both ways. All right. If there's nothing wrong with the meeting, then Donald Trump should have been immediately running up to your office telling you that this meeting was going to happen and then give you a full report on what did or did not occur. And there is evidence that he called, Donald Trump Jr. called an unlisted number that Trump has an unlisted number. We don't know for sure that Mueller knows what that number is right around the same time. So th- there's certainly an indication that there was communication. And then, of course, there was communication. But But come on, can we at least come up with a consistent, logical story here? If there's nothing wrong with the meeting and there's nothing to hide about the meeting, then why weren't you told, Mr. President? That's absurd. It's your son, your son-in-law and your campaign chairman, who, by the way, is currently (laughs) enduring a federal trial on incredibly important, although not directly involved charges to this Russian investigation, at least not directly involved to so-called Russian collusion. And Of course, that's one of Trump's mantras: "There was no collusion." And oh, by the way, if, if there was collusion, it's not a crime. Wait a minute. <laughs> That's like saying I've done nothing wrong, but if I did do something wrong, I'm able to pardon myself. Why are you talking about pardoning yourself <laughs> if you did nothing wrong? But they- <laughs> why? And by the way, I, I, I. One of the things that has troubled me, and I uh, am. Someone who is very aware of and tries to fight all elements of confirmation bias. I don't want to believe this, and I'm looking for all the holes in in the theories. For instance, why is Paul Manafort not flipped? Why is he not plea bargained? If you know he's the guy that would have the knowledge, why has that not happened? Now there are some counter arguments to that: either he's afraid for his life, or he thinks. Trump is going to pardon him. Both of those are plausible, I guess. Although, and then certainly Trump tweeted this week, support for Manafort. That's consistent with the idea that he might pardon him. But I got to believe that if Trump pardons Paul Manafort after a conviction on on these charges, that's going to be really bad. That, I I mean, I'm skeptical of anything having major impact on Trump's support because it's so cult-like, but that is a major problem. If you pardon Paul Manafort, and, you know, speaking of Paul Manafort, it got a little bit of play this week because his trial started. If you get a chance, check out the clip. I, I wish we had it. We don't. Check out the clip of Paul Manafort being asked by Nora O'Donnell on CBS, I believe this was either right before the convention or during the 2016 Republican convention, whether or not Trump has had any financial dealings with Russian oligarchs. And his answer is literally hilarious. It is literally hilarious. Like if you were trying to do a Saturday night live sketch of someone who is clearly blatantly lying, and who can't even pull it off. It's Paul Manafort's answer. So anyway, (laughs) I I got a problem with the idea that there was no collusion, but by the way, collusion is not a crime. And there's still legitimate debate over whether that collusion really is a crime. But when that's your mantra, when you've moved the goalposts that much to where, well, you know what? If there was collusion with Russia, it wasn't really a crime. And, of course, the cult all thinks at this point, and this poll numbers backing this up, that collusion was far from a crime. In fact, it was uh, patriotic. It was patriotic to collude with Russia to beat Hillary because Hillary <laughs> was so evil. <laughs> Seriously, folks. Seriously. And, and I've, I've heard a lot of this. Um, you know, there's, there should be evidence of collusion at this point if it existed. I will be the first to acknowledge there's no proof of collusion, but there is plenty of evidence of it. Plenty of evidence. In fact, I'm, I, I've am i been compiling a list for a column I plan to write fairly soon, although the least list keeps growing. In fact, it did today. There's like 30 items that I've come up with that are evidence of collusion between Trump and Russia, the Trump campaign and the state of Russia. I mean, just the idea that there was a meeting in Trump Tower, which there have been numerous lies about right there is a huge problem. And these counter arguments, these counter arguments are so telling. You can tell a lot, but it's not not just the fake news hoax. There's no collusion, but collusion is not a crime. I mean, that's as lame as it gets. But maybe the lamest, which I've seen a lot from the cult recently is, and and Trump has said this himself, Hillary's the one that colluded. Hillary's the one that colluded. Folks, come on. Can we please use our fucking brains for a second? Please. the, The reality is this. There is a fundamental difference between what happened with the Steele dossier, and what is alleged to have occurred and what apparently has occurred, we already know occurred to some extent, between the Trump campaign and Russia. Here's why Hillary did not collude with the Russian state. Steele was hired by Fusion GPS. He had no idea for whom he was working. In other words, who was paying Fusion GPS. It's also important to point out, that it was a conservative group that first started this process, but then they dropped it once Trump won the primary. But the Democratic Party indirectly was funding Steele. But who was Steele talking to? Oh, he was talking to Russians. So Hillary, ipso facto, was colluding with Russians. No, morons. He was talking to Russians to find out what the Russian state was up to. These are not people who are on the same side as Putin. They were effectively double agents. So by your logic, we could never speak to double agents. Like for instance, the doctor who helped us get bin Laden, the Pakistani doctor, that would have been working with the Pakistani state in your distorted moronic minds. It's the opposite. So not only was there no meeting with Russians at the Clinton Foundation with Chelsea and a whole bunch of other people from the Clinton campaign, plus a whole bunch of other stuff that are, that's not in evidence here. And, and oh, by the way, maybe the biggest part of this, the problem with this theory of Hillary colluded, why the fuck was none of this used during the campaign? They had this Great grand conspiracy to collude with the Russians to set up Donald Trump. And then they never used it. <laughs> and not only did they never use it, even after they lost, they never leaked it. <laughs> That's fucking brilliant. Come on, people. Could you please use your minds, use your brains for just a second? What difference at this point does it make? It makes a big difference. Because this is the lame-ass argument that the Trumpsters are using. Oh, Hillary did it. But Hillary—no, she didn't. It's not close. And by the way, I thought we were we were voting for Trump because he was better than Hillary. And the bottom line of all this—and I'm not a big collusion is the be-all-end-all guy in all this. As I started off this commentary, the Helsinki presser proves Trump is beholden to Putin— why? That's all that matters. Is it because of collusion? Is the collusion what compromises him? It could be. It could be that obviously Putin would have proof of collusion. And so that's why Trump has no balls when it comes to Putin. That's, that's a reasonable explanation. But that's what we need to find out because it's clear now that our president is beholden slash compromised by Vladimir Putin. And that is not a conspiracy. You saw it for your own damn eyes. And then hilariously, 36 hours after this, he lies about what happened in the press conference. That was the most ridiculous thing. And his, his cult apparently bought it, that he claimed he misspoke When he said that there was no reason white Russia would have supported Trump during the election, that he he didn't have the word "not" in there. Well, not only is that absurd because he didn't correct it immediately, but also, by the way, let's follow this argument. It's absurd because he didn't correct it. They wait. He did several interviews without mentioning that he, he didn't say the right words but if you accept it you know what it means one he's a complete fucking moron so that that's his argument i'm a complete fucking moron and two i'm a pussy that's because that, i'm too afraid of vladimir putin but even more important than all that the, the i'm a moronic wussy uh, argument which when you when donald trump has to acknowledge i'm a moron and i'm a wussy obviously there's a problem it's much bigger than that but he it doesn't even work. Because even if it was pretend to be true, and it's not, he made several other statements that are not explained by that during the press conference. So to me, the most important thing in this whole deal is, why is Trump compromised or beholden to to Putin? Why is that? And can that be rectified? that's the essence of all of this. And that's a really important question. And it's certainly one that conservatives would be all over if the person it was being asked about was not a so-called Republican. That's what's so absurd about this whole thing. If Donald Trump was a Democrat, my God, Sean Anthony, Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin, Fox News Channel would be going batshit crazy on this 24-7. Absolutely. And instead, they do nothing because they're part of state-run news media. And it's disgusting. Now, a couple other things happened in the last few weeks regarding this, and I've written about this as well. Has Michael Cohen flipped on Trump? I'm not 100% sure that he has, by the way. It seems like he has, but I'm not 100% sure. I've written, again, showing I have no Trump derangement syndrome, that the first Michael Cohen tape of him having a discussion with Donald Trump during the height of the presidential campaign was no big deal. I think it's a big nothing burger. Legally, especially, there's really nothing of any proof of a crime there. Now, I'm not naive. It certainly seems pretty clear what's going on there, that they're conspiring to pay somebody off. And yes, I do believe that Trump is referring to cash, paying cash, which is never a good thing. But legally, there's no proof of anything there. And by the way, if it really is the Karen McDougal situation, the Playboy model, and not Stormy Daniels, which it appears that it's Karen McDougal and not Stormy Daniels. There was never any payment made to the National Enquirer that we're aware of. So there's no there there. So both politically and legally, I don't see that Cohen tape as anything significant. Now, there's some people who claim it was a shot across the bow. It's showing Trump what he has. It's trying to get Trump to maybe pardon him, although now the Cohen people are saying that this is not about a a pardon. And then, of course, there was the story, which apparently got leaked by Giuliani or the Trump people, although it's never clear, that Cohen is willing to testify that Trump knew about the Trump Tower meeting with the Russians beforehand and approved it. Now, I believe that's true. Interestingly, there's no evidence that Cohen has been interviewed by Mueller's team, which is confusing to me. Some people think, well, he doesn't even need Cohen because he's got, he's got evidence of that already. Maybe, but wouldn't you want to still talk to him? You don't necessarily have to use him. But the fact that he hasn't been spoken to is weird to me, as there's an explanation for it potentially, but I, I, I'm, I'm a little confused by that. But to me, again, we already know that Trump knew, but does Cohen have proof of that? <clears throat> If Cohen has proof of that, politically, that would be significant, you would think. Some people still care about a major lie. Trump is still lying about it today, which indicates to me that he must not think that Cohen has the goods on that. Or is it possible, and this is conspiratorial, and I don't believe this because I don't think these people are smart enough for this. This is like three-dimensional chess when these people can't even play Candyland, But it is possible, and I've alluded to this already, that Cohen is playing a game here. That Cohen really hasn't flipped, that he's actually taking the ultimate bullet for Trump by discrediting discrediting himself as a witness. I think that's theoretically possible. That is possible. It is interesting, although certainly not definitive, that if you look at Donald Trump's Twitter account, he, he follows 20, 47 accounts, Donald Trump does, only 47 accounts. One of them is still Michael Cohen, which is weird. Now, maybe he hasn't thought about unfollowing him, but that seems a little odd to me. So I'm not sure what's going on with Cohen, but I am yet to be convinced that Cohen really does have the goods or is willing and able to provide the goods On Donald Trump, although it is still (laughs) incredibly amazing that we're living in a world where the president of the United States, his personal attorney, his fixer, is acting like he has flipped on him in a criminal investigation, and it's not a bigger story. Now, speaking of Cohen, I did write another column just this past week that I want you to check out at freespeechbroadcasting.com, which I think is really interesting. Because there's been a lot of talk about what is it that Vladimir Putin has on Donald Trump, which is a very good question. But I think we now need to ask the question, what is it that Michael Cohen has on Sean Hannity? Because it is remarkable how Sean Hannity has been hands off of Michael Cohen. This is a guy who attacks everybody and anybody who has any sort of beef or poses any sort of threat to his boyfriend, Donald Trump. And yet nothing against Michael Cohen, nothing. In fact, it was his first response to the news that Cohen had taped Donald Trump during the election was so hilarious, so sputtering, so noncommittal that Seth Meyers made fun of it on the late show on NBC and rightfully so. And to my knowledge, Hannity has not moved off of that position that Cohen is still a friend and he's got a great family. And uh, da, 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 da. I don't want to really talk about this. Let's move on. Of course, Hannity was famously named in court as Cohen's mysterious client number three. And that's really what begs the question here. Okay, so what is it that Michael Cohen really did for Sean Hannity that would create enough leverage? For Cohen on Hannity for Hannity to go silent on criticizing Michael Cohen. What is that? There's all sorts of possibilities. I don't have an answer. I don't. But it's something to keep an eye on because it seems, seems almost more definitive to me. There, there are fewer explanations for Hannity being hands-off on Cohen than there are explanations for Trump being hands-off on Vladimir Putin. The bottom line of all this, as I see it, is that Trump is guilty of something. Something significant, but he's going to survive. I, I believe that more strongly every day. I believe every day the evidence mounts that Trump is guilty of something and that he will survive. Liberals are putting way too much emotional investment in Mueller, which, by the way, is a really interesting point that no one seems to be making, except for me that I've seen, and that is... I realize it's always difficult to interpret Trump's thinking because he's a moron at times. He's an idiot savant. I mean, that makes it very difficult to interpret him because sometimes he's a genius and sometimes he's a complete idiot. But let's think about this remotely logically. Because the left has embraced Robert Mueller, a Republican, a lifelong Republican, so deeply, what does that provide as an opportunity for Donald Trump? It provides an amazing opportunity because if Mueller were to exonerate Trump in this investigation, that would stick. The left would have no choice because they've already elevated Mueller to almost godlike status. So why would you discredit Mueller if he was your best chance of exoneration? Well, either you're a complete Moron, or you're guilty, or both. Both is also possible. But I believe liberals and anti-Trump conservatives have placed, in my view, based upon what we currently know, way too much faith in Trump. In fact, I, I have a friend who works for a very—I'm sorry—in Mueller. I have a, a friend who's a, a uh, who works for a very pro-Trump news organization, quote-unquote news organization, that has actually bet me that Trump will be removed from office by the end of next year, 2019. We bet dinner over it. I feel very confident that I'm going to win. They feel very confident that they're going to win, largely because they have placed an incredible amount of confidence in Mueller. And by the way, I don't have a problem with people thinking Mueller is very competent and that he might know a lot more than what is currently in the public record but here's why i'm so confident that i'm going to win the bet because the american public has proven they don't give a shit that 40 percent of the public the the strong trump supporters they don't care they're a bunch of hypocrites and they they don't they do not want to believe they are too invested in the donald trump mythology that they bought into and people will not will not disbelieve something that they're invested in. They just won't. I've learned that in the Penn State case. Once people become personally invested in a narrative, it is almost impossible to move them off of that, especially when facts never had anything to do with why they were invested in the first place. It is far easier to dupe people than to bel- to convince them that they have been duped. That is a fundamental reality of human nature. And so I don't think I I think Mueller could have a howitzer and it would have limited damage. And politically, unless Democrats sweep to a massive victory in November, I just don't see how Trump ever is removed from office and he's never going to resign because that's just not in his makeup. So that's where I am on this. It's basically the same position it's been for a while, only I feel more strongly about it in every direction. By the way, part of the reason why I'm, I'm convinced that there's no chance of, realistically, based upon what we currently know, that the tide dramatically turns against Trump is because people like Charles Krauthammer are not going to be around. Charles Krauthammer obviously recently died. I think he would have been an important voice in all of this, but he's not going to be around. It's appearing more and more as if John McCain is probably going to follow soon with his brain cancer. He was one of the few that would have stood up and been taken seriously in this situation. There's no sign of Fox News by and large, except for fringes of resistance by Shepard Smith and Neil Cavuto and weirdly sometimes Andrew Napolitano. Not Chris Wallace, though, which is weird. There's no sign of Fox News caving in. They are too, way too invested in this narrative of Trump. So... I just don't think, think it's going to happen. A couple of other uh, things to talk about with regard to Trump in this uh, first hour that don't have to do with uh, Russia. We obviously have a, a new nominee for the Supreme Court of the United States, Brett Kavanaugh. I thought that the Kavanaugh pick was really good. I like him. Uh, I find it hilarious that Trump, Mr. Anti Establishment, has now picked two guys from Georgetown Prep. <laughs> I went to college at Georgetown University, and the idea that two guys from that were going to Georgetown Prep at the same time are now going to be barring a disaster on the Supreme Court together is pretty amazing. But when, when you go to Georgetown Prep and you're a Yaley and you're a Bushy, you are as establishment as you can possibly get in Washington, D.C. And Donald Trump chooses this guy, Mr. Anti-Establishment, to be his Supreme Court pick, and the Bush cult just goes, "Yay, Trump!" Wh- what? <laughs> it's all—it's all just a joke, folks. I, you know, with me, it's just works. You know, it's magic. <laughs> it's just magic. He can do whatever he wants, and the cult just cheers. But I, I like Kavanaugh. I, I do not believe that this means that abortion is now going to be threatened. I think that's a, a fallacy that's put out there by liberals to make money from from their crazies. I believe that effectively the court has maintained itself as a 5-4 conservative majority. I do think that there's a good chance Kavanaugh will be slightly more conservative than Kennedy, which is good, but Gorsuch is probably not as conservative as Scalia. So overall, while yes, this would have been worse under Hillary, under Hillary, we would probably have a Small 5 4 liberal majority. You got to remember, Kennedy would not have retired under Hillary, so he would have hung on. So, barring, you know, he's still alive, so there's no evidence that he would have died. So, yes, Trump's victory has slightly advantaged conservatives on the Supreme Court to where they would have been otherwise. I will ask this, and I won't get an actual answer, but what. Actual law has changed in the conservative direction because of Trump's judicial picks. Now, I realize this takes time, and I'm open to it happening in the future, but I haven't seen it yet. That being said, good job on the picks. It's almost like with Supreme Court picks that Trump is a completely different person. Like, this is the one area of life that he, he takes seriously. I, I've, <laughs> this is the bizarre John Ziegler analogy on Trump's Supreme Court picks. Trump is the really horrible husband that knows you don't fuck up Christmas, birthday and anniversary. (laughs) As long as you, as long as you bring it home on Christmas, birthday and anniversary, you can get away with everything else in Trump's mind. So for 362, 63 days a year, he's a complete fuck up, but he does well when it comes to the Supreme Court picks, largely because he's not really making the choices. He's not really making the choices. He's given a couple of names. He interviews some people. He can't possibly fuck it up totally. Uh, and so far, he's done well. Now, the other uh, narrative that I've been hearing a lot of lately, and partially because of these new GDP numbers, is and I've heard this from my own um, in-laws. I, get, <laughs> I was with them just yesterday. My in-laws are an interesting focus group because they're very pro-Trump. And uh, I'm hearing this narrative of the great Trump economy narrative, because after all, we had huge GDP numbers. Never in the history of the country have we had higher GDP numbers than this last quarter. That's not actually true. (laughs) In fact, Obama had quarters that were just as good or better. (laughs) But this is the world we live in now. Whatever Trump says, we're supposed to take seriously there's some explanations for these GDP numbers that, first of all, um, might actually be negative. It's possible that Trump's insane tariffs have actually provoked people to create production in the previous quarter because they know what's coming. That's possible. So let's wait and see. One quarter GDP is not that significant, but more importantly, what is it that Trump has done to facilitate this? Yes, the tax cuts, which, again, all he did was sign. They weren't his. They weren't his idea. They they were passed by Congress. They were not paid for. Let's be clear what the tax cuts were. I I realize I'm one of the last standing conservatives that actually believes in conservative philosophy. But basically, here's what the tax cuts were. We took out a loan from China on our great-grandchildren, and we gave it to ourselves today. That's what we did. That's what these tax cuts were. Deficits are ballooning. That doesn't seem to matter anymore. Now, and by the way, who, who would have thought that a guy who's, who made his alleged fortune on borrowing money and not paying it back would end up creating a situation that makes Barack Obama look like a fiscal conservative when it comes to deficits. But look, look in the short run, tax cuts are good. I just wish we would have paid for him. We didn't. But other than that, and I, get, I hear this all the, "Oh, he's cut regulations. This sounds like total bullshit to me. No one has ever shown me the specific regulation, how it was cut, and what influence that it has had. So I just don't I'm sorry. Now if, if this was a normal president and someone said, "Oh, he's cut all these regulations," uh, you know Fox said it or somebody that was reasonably previously credible, I'd go, "Oh, okay. That makes sense, but with Trump, I don't believe anything. So show me, and no one can show me. I, I, all the time, I ask this on Twitter: Show me what regulation with this magic, the magic reg- regulation. You know, with me, it just works. You know, it's magic. Yeah, it's just magic. It didn't actually happen, but you know, it sounds good. And these tariffs are insane. And the idea that we're going to bail out farmers with twelve billion dollars, folks. Can we please think for a second about what would happen if Barack Obama did that? Tariffs followed by massive bailouts. The Tea Party people, the very same Trump fanatics, would go bananas. Bananas with a capital B. And finally, uh, I got to mention two other things real quick. Um, The LeBron James tweet on Friday night by Trump, where he basically calls Don Lemon and LeBron James dumb was just just crazy. For a president to do it under any circumstances is nuts. But by the way, there's a special election for Congress where this week? Ohio, where LeBron James just opened up a school for at-risk kids. Just fucking brilliant, you moron. And then Melania, how about this for all-American trolling? Melania, his wife, puts out a statement praising LeBron the next day. Finally, I got to tell you about the, uh, Dinesh D'Souza movie that I went to. I went to go see the Dinesh D'Souza movie this week in Los Angeles where it premiered. This is the movie called the death of a nation or death of a nation. And this is the movie where the poster has the face of Lincoln and the face of Trump morphed together. And I was really, uh, Curious to go see this. I, I, I went as a member of the news media. They sent me an invitation as a, as a media member for, as a columnist for Mediite. And one of the reasons I was really interested in this was, you know, I'm a documentary filmmaker myself. I, in 2008 and 2009, I had two major conservative documentary films. One was anti Clinton, one was anti Obama that premiered right here in Los Angeles. And let's be clear, The conservative film community in Los Angeles is very small, and they're basically the same people that go to all the same events. And so I was very curious as to how this would go down. I wanted to see the movie. I was curious how I would be reacted to. Uh, I wanted to see who was there, how they responded, now that they were a member of a cult. And I was not disappointed. By and large, it felt like being a ghost, I wrote a column about this, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com with more details. But um, no one knew what to make of me like this. Like, Oh, here's Ziegler. Wait, wait a minute. What's he doing here? Wasn't he on our team before? And now isn't he on the on the other side? Isn't he on the other team? And I'm like, dude, no, you're the ones that changed. Not me. I'm still the same guy. You guys all just decided to join a cult. And they had promised, the movie people did, that there were going to be members of the Trump administration there and celebrities on the red carpet. And so when I got there, and I got there a little bit late, but I'm pretty sure that there was nobody better than this. This is what the red carpet was for this movie. Dinesh D'Souza giving interviews for his movie. Fine. Just, by the way, doing an interview about a guy who just pardoned him. <laughs> Holy conflict of interest, Batman. But that's the world. That's the crazy world we now live in. Tommy Laren was the big star. Tommy Lahren, Fox News commentator, was the big star of the uh, red carpet. And uh, the highlight was when she did an interview with Diamond and Silk, the two black females who were YouTube sensations for being uh, Trump supporters. I was within two feet of Diamond and Silk, and they, I guess, were doing a webcast. It seemed like they were doing a webcast where all they did for the 25 minutes that I was there they just kept repeating the name of the movie, come see it, name of the movie, come see it. One would say the same thing. The other would respond. I mean, it was it, it was like they were robots. It was like they were Marco Rubio at the New Hampshire debate. They just kept repeating themselves over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then the climax came when they interviewed Tommy Laren. So here, here I was. John Ziegler three feet away from Diamond and Silk interviewing Tommy Laren and in a Dinesh D'Souza movie with a poster that morphs the face of Abraham Lincoln and Donald Trump. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Chit, chat, live. So that was Diamond and Silk, by the way, folks, in case you were as confused as I was by the sound. The, um, but... <laughs> As far as Tommy Laren and, and interestingly, they gave me a great seat. At first, they had no seat for me. This they were very disorganized. But eventually, I got a ticket, and I got a ticket that was literally right smack in the middle of the screen, in the middle of the theater. I had probably the best seat in the house, and right in front of me was Tommy Laren. Now, I didn't talk to her. I would have. I would have. Although I have to say, I was on my best behavior for this event for a couple of reasons, and this is not a joke. Although it's intended to be funny, but this is this is serious. This is what really happened. My wife, who knows my history with these events, literally said to me before I left, you are not allowed to get arrested. And then without skipping a beat, she she follows that up by saying, and not even detained. Because as I've explained to her before, there's a distinction between getting detained and getting arrested. So she wanted it very clear. Uh-uh, you're not getting arrested and you're not getting detained. Now, part of that is because we have a friend who might be in business with Dinesh D'Souza. So I needed to be extra super good. <laughs> but Even by John Sigler standards, I needed to be extra super good. So I was not going to do anything. Basically, I, had, I did not bring my balls with me to this event. My balls were in my wife's uh, pocketbook. And uh, so I did not speak to, to Tommy Laren, But I will say this about Tommy Laren. I've always thought that a, a big part of her appeal to the extent that it exists is that she's smoking hot. Now, interestingly, when I visited the blaze last year, where she used to work, I made that a statement similar to that. And people gave me kind of like the side eye, like, really? You think she's that good looking? And of course they, they know her, they worked with her. <laughs> and I, and I first, I thought this was just a situation where she was such a, you know, a biatch that they that that took away from her physical attractiveness. Having seen her now in person, I now understand why they don't think she's that attractive. She's not. She's way shorter than I thought. Her legs are chunky. Uh, her hair is completely fake, which was not a surprise. And um, and the face really isn't as good. I mean, her makeup job is tremendous. So. And I will give Dinesh's movie this: having been to a lot of these conservative events, these are not these are not your normal Hollywood events, right? <laughs> the average age is usually about fifty-five or sixty, maybe older, and not a lot of young people, not a lot of really good-looking people. There are a lot of very attractive women at this premiere, which is usually a pretty good sign. I would say Tommy Laren was not in the top five. And I mean that sincerely; she was not in the top five of attractive women at the Dinesh D'Souza Death of a Nation premiere. Um, But anyway, there were all sorts of cult members there. The movie itself, which I explained in my column at freespeechbroadcasting.com, is not good. I don't even think it's that good for the cult. It doesn't give the cult really what it wants. It's mostly about Adolf Hitler, which I find to be very odd. It lies constantly about who Trump really is. I mean, they're just pretending that Trump is this different person than than he actually is in reality. Um and interestingly, if if the projections are correct, the movie's not doing that great. It's it's projected to get make less than 3 million dollars opening weekend, which is less than the Hillary movie made, which was way less than the Obama movie. Although the Obama movie is hard to compare because it it had a different type of opening, but the reality is that the Dinesh D'Souza movie is not going gangbusters. I've noticed that Matt Drudge has done very little to help the movie. Trump himself shocked me by not tweeting out a poster. I mean, that poster was created for Trump to tweet it out with the face of Lincoln and Trump morphed together. That did not happen. So that is interesting to, to, to note that this movie is not going to go, do fantastic business. Now, it's for a document for a conservative documentary, it's going to be one of the best of all time. But when you consider what it has going for it with the Trump cult, it is interesting that the numbers are not going to be breakout. And I don't believe that Trump's going to be able to claim, "Look at this amazing movie, what they did over the weekend, all these millions of dollars. No, less than three million, it looks like. All right, so that does it for hour number one a much belated hour number one of this edition of the podcast. Hour number two, all the non-Trump related news, all the stories that I'm directly involved with, although one of them still might involve Donald Trump, we're not sure yet. That's the Paul Campos, uh, Brody, Brashard, Trump theory, which I have uh, new information on, and there'll be new news broken on that this week. So check that out, Number hour number two. And then hour number three, my interview with General Michael Hayden, former CIA director, on the day of the Helsinki press conference with Vladimir Putin. As always, I ask only two things of you with regard to this podcast. Number one, please share it via social media, Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, what have you. And number two, do yourself a favor, and if you're one of those people who, when you sleep at night, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. coffee oh thanks how did you sleep Ugh, like a
0: baby i don't want to get out of bed ever these sheets are mm, incredibly soft what did you say they're called again performance bedding by sheiks <laughs> performance bedding <laughs> yeah they're made from super high-tech performance fabric they're incredibly breathable so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on huh no wonder i slept so good since i started using sheiks i sleep like a baby No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. (laughs) Well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. (laughs) (laughs) Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212 sleepcoolnow.com 1212.